Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it today, quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the show five stars on Apple's podcast app or Spotify and subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can find by searching my name, Felix Levine, there on YouTube. You can find every episode in its full video version as well as smaller clips and highlights from those episodes and give me a follow on Instagram at felix.levine or check out my website, felix-levine.com. And my guest today, he is a sports agent and general counsel for Paradigm Sports. Please welcome David Fish. And we're live. Dave Fish, thank you uh, for coming in on a, on a Friday morning my pleasure. here in Brooklyn. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on my show. I'm, I'm quite excited to have you and to, and to get into it. Good. Me too. So I told you a few seconds ago, is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something that the world doesn't know about you that I don't know about you that we're about to find out? Um, I, I mean, the people close to me probably know this. I don't know how out there it is, but my sort of journey to martial arts was kind of an unusual one, at least I'm told by people that are in the sport, um, sort of both parts of it. So when, listen, I'm a little over five, seven right now. I don't want to say that I'm a big guy now, but I was really small as a kid. Like I, I think I did all my growing, like my junior year in high school, I probably went from like five, one, five, seven, right? I was always wow. the little kid. Um, I was the little kid. Five, one going into high school? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, wow. I was a little kid, yeah. Um, and because of that, and because I was kind of like a smart kid with maybe a little bit of a attitude, um, you know, I got picked on a lot. So I had to kind of learn how to defend myself and I was always kind of gravitated toward defending myself and being able to stand up for myself. And I was very into wrestling for whatever reason, but growing up in New York City, it's changing a little bit now, there were no wrestling programs, just about. There was no opportunity to wrestle in high school, and I always just, for some reason, had an interest in it. It seemed like a cool sport. The people that did it seemed real tough. Um, so when I knew where I was going to college, I said, you know what I do? They have a wrestling team. I'm gonna call the coach and see if I can join the wrestling team. Like, join a club. Like, I didn't have a concept that this was like an NCAA program that recruited people. So I, it's funny, the, the memories that stand out for you, I remember, being in my parents' bedroom, nervously on the phone, and I had the coach's number, and he picked up, and how nervous I was. And essentially, I said, listen, I'm coming to the school. I'm really into wrestling. Do you think I could come out for the team? I mean, he sort of laughed and said, this isn't a club. Like, we are, we happen to be, it was up in Albany. We are a Greco-Roman Olympic training center. I have a top recruiting class. This is a serious program. We don't teach people how to wrestle. We right. recruit quality high school wrestlers. So I was really deflated. I get to school, um, and by chance, I stumble upon a couple of guys that were recruited to the wrestling team, and I told them the story, and they sort of kiddingly said, uh, why don't you come out? You know, the first practice is this date. And for whatever crazy reason, and I start a lot of things I do with for whatever crazy reason, <laughs> I, I, I went out. And 
at the the first day of practice, I just hit the table. I got to avoid doing that. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, my uh, my talk it depends. Um, all the all the wrestlers would go into a classroom, and sort of the coach would go around, and everyone would stand up and say, "Hey, my name is Joe Schmo. I'm a two-time All-American, or I'm a recruit. I finished. I was a section finalist. All this stuff, and." I happen to be the last person that spoke. I don't know if I positioned myself in like a area where I wouldn't be seen. And it was up to me and I got up and I said, hey, my name is Dave Fish. I, you know, I, I never wrestled before, I'd like to learn, but if you give me a chance, I won't quit on you. And the coach said, I, I already talked to you over the summer. I remember I told you, we don't teach people how to wrestle. I appreciate you coming out, but this isn't gonna happen. So we walk out and- Were you deflated? I was super deflated, but quickly kind of inflated by the fact that a lot of the guys on the team kind of walked with me and said, hey, it's pretty cool that you did that. That was, yeah. that was kind of neat. It was funny. <laughs> and I continued to talk to them. I walked out of the locker room, and I forget who it was, or it was a number of them. They convinced the equipment coach to, like, give me a locker and equipment. And it's, it's funny with the equipment. I don't know if it's still similar. The equipment was this giant safety pin that you hooked your headgear, jock, shorts, and shirt on. And the idea was you'd throw it in the wash at the end, it would stay together, and mm -hmm. then it would be in your locker. And he gave me a locker. It was amazing. So I started coming out. I started just coming out to practice. And Coach would read the list of the team, you know, check everyone's there, and he would just ignore me. It was like I was <laughs> invisible. So I'd sit on the side, and I don't know, at the time I, I, I wrestled in a lot of different weight classes. At the time I was probably around 160, 170. And, uh, you know, I'd wait for the third string 126 pounder that didn't have a partner. And, you know, he would beat the heck out of me, you know, as just because I was there. And I just kept coming out and he ignored me. And I'd say about three to four weeks in, I'm working with somebody, obviously not knowing really what I'm doing. And coach came by and he kind of like adjusted my hips and picked up my shoulder and said, you know, this is the way you do it. And from that day on, I was on the roster. And uh, I wrestled four years, you know, I, I was captain my senior year. Wow. And, you know, listen, did I have a great record? No, I did not. I was learning on the go, but I mean, what a great four years of just learning how to be um, a student athlete, really be a student athlete, got to work with some world-class wrestlers because that was a, um, a Greco-Roman training site. I mean, we had amazing people come through that room. Um, and, I, you know, I, I have lifelong friends. I mean, I'm still friends with that team. We're close, you know. Uh, it's, so th that, that was great. And, that you know, that got me into that world. And then the second crazy step, you know, and, and I did a little bit of Greco-Roman wrestling um, after that, but I was never going to reach a level where I was going to, you know, compete at a really high level. So that was done. You become an adult. I did a lot of uh, playing football in Central Park for a while. <laughs> and, you know, I would do my workouts. I'd go to, you know, New York Sports Club and do like the group exercise classes. And I, take, I took this one class that I really enjoyed. It was a boxing class, but it wasn't a boxing class. It was like Taibo boxing. I was in a class with like 10 other women and we'd hit the bag. And the, it was sometimes they'd come around with focus mitts, but it was a great workout. I really loved the instructor. Um, and I started even taking a class with his brother who taught at another location. I really enjoyed just the boxing workout. And I forgot exactly how this came about, but he came in one day and said, 
oh, I was watching the fire department and the police boxing, really a lot of good amateur boxing out there. It's like, Dave, you should, you should give it a shot. You know, you should sign up for the Golden Gloves, which is a ridiculous thing to tell me to do. I'd never been in a ring. Stupid advice. Hmm. Went to the Daily News, found the little cutout, <laughs> sent it in. Um, I got called in for medicals. I mean, this was ridiculous what I was doing. And you're how old at this point? At this point, I was 33 or 34. Wow. And I only had like a year left to do this. <laughs> you get aged out. I think it was like the last year I could even do it. So I remember waiting for medicals in this hallway. And when I finally got up there, let's just say I didn't look the part yeah. where everybody else was there. <laughs> I remember the doctor looking at me like, what are you doing here? And he looks at the, you're a law school professor? Like, what is, are you serious? Yeah, I'm going to go for it. So I got the medicals. I waited. I, I got a date for a fight. I figured I should just see what a ring is like. So I went down to Gleason's gym and got in <laughs> oh, a yeah. ring just to feel what it was like. Um, and here we go. So I, I get to the location. It was at some church. What's your family? Like, what are your family and friends saying? Are they thinking you're crazy? Yes. Yes. But they're, they're kind of used to it at this um, point. Okay, they yeah. know, like, Dave's doing something yeah. ridiculous again, you know. Um, but I had support. People came out to, to watch this slaughter. Um, <laughs> And I remember getting there and I had, first of all, I had no one with me. I didn't have a corner. I didn't have anyone with me. And I remember them, they do the matchups and they throw you that, that tank top, you know, one blue, one yellow. They threw me the yellow tank top. They gave me gauze and stuff to wrap my hands. I was like, what am I going to do? I didn't know what to do. So the fire department had someone fighting. And to their credit, the, the coaches there kind of looked at me and said, this kid, calling myself a kid. I was the oldest guy, oldest guy fighting there. They came over and they're like, you want us to wrap your hands? I like, That'd be great. So they wrapped the hands for me and they even walked out with me with a bucket. I didn't know what the bucket was going to do. I, I, you know, <laughs> you know, they didn't have anything to cope. They didn't know me. They'll go out and do it. You know, um, they thought I was nuts too, hearing all this. So I get out there. I'd say 15 seconds in, there's a standing eight count against me. I just start getting punched in the face so many times. Like I've never... Worse than when I got beat up like in grammar school. Um, I think my nose was already bleeding. Um, I'm like, okay, hopefully that's the worst that it's going to get. <laughs> so I finished the round and, and I was in good shape and I sort of had a, an aggressive approach by nature. So I was moving forward and just blocking with my head a lot. Yeah. So I get through the first round, um, pretty beat up, but my conditioning was okay. So I was like, all right, I can get into the second round. Second round, I just went all out, like balls to the wall. Just I'm going to be super aggressive, try to knock this guy out. And Was I he get, good? He was pretty – I mean, it was hard for me to judge at the time. Right, but he now that you have the perspective. Um, well, I think he probably should have done better against me given okay. – you know, <laughs> um, because I get to the corner after the second round and they're like, dude, this is a tied fight. If you win this round, you're going to win this fight. Um, and – I'm assuming the other guy probably was told, you need to win this round, right? So we went out there. Apparently, it was a good fight because it was written up in the Daily News the next day as, like, the fight of the night. <laughs> but I lost. I lost the decision that was fairly lost. He, he beat me in the third round. He definitely outboxed me. Um, and then I get to the bathroom, and I'm cleaning up all the blood all over my face, and I see my opponent and sort of his corners come in. And even a guy I remember that was like screaming in the corner for him to like kill me, like, you know, 
And I'm like, what's going on here? And they came in and they were very complimentary. They said, wow, we heard this is like the first time you did this. It's, it's really neat. Um, you, you know, you, you ever think about training and doing this? And I was like, nah, this was just sort of like a bucket list thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, and then the, the weird thing about it, how all this stuff comes together is my daughter, who's 21 at the time, now at the time was like, I don't know, she was four or five years old. And she's she a 2000 doing, baby. She was a 2000 baby. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, she was taking what were called cub classes at Tiger Shulman's in Bayside. And I drop her off, and there is the instructor wow. and the person that was talking to <laughs> me. Hilarious. And he says, You gotta try this. You gotta try this. And uh, I got other things to do. I'm, you know, the all, I'm too busy. It isn't for me. And uh, I took one class, and then, you know, I'm. Ever However since. many years later, I'm, I'm still with the crew. Now, did you, did you kind of fall in love with MMA at the first time you, you ever did it? Um, because, you know, I, I think it'd probably be hard for you at that point in time to imagine that, you know, this is where you'd be perhaps 18, 20 years later. For the most part, I say I, I did fall in love with it. Um, I remember some of it being incredibly challenging. I mean, I remember early on we were just learning – uh, how to throw kicks and just really shadow kicking and I you know I'm in the back and I'm watching all these people in the front do it so flawlessly and I felt so inept that is this for me am I ever going to be good at this um, but uh, that's one of the things that's great about the sport and many things but the sport in general that it is an art and it's there's always room to get better whether you, it's your first day or whether you're a you've been a black belt for 15 years, there's always growth, there's always challenges, and, and that's what makes it, and a lot of other arts and things, whether it's playing the piano or whatever, or painting, you know, so great. Now, I'm wondering about you, because what I, I mean, I've only talked to you for about 10 minutes now, but uh, it seems like you have this uh, big kind of joy to, joy to live, joy to throw yourself into things that you're interested by, um, kind of really, really throw yourself in the deep end, you know, whether it's um, the wrestling story or the boxing story, have you always been like this as a kid? Was it something that was kind of innately brought to you or is it something that kind of came to you over time? I, as far as I can remember, you know, I, I, I picture my mom like standing in front of the door saying like, no, I, I don't want you playing football. It's not for you. Why can't you do something like tennis or chess, you know? And my mom was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I tend to. I mean, I mean it, with, with that said, there are some things that I'm terrified of, and I don't, like, I'm terrified of heights. Okay. I would never do this, like, skydiving and bungee jumping that I see people do. Terrified of that. Um, the other thing is I can't swim. I'm really? And I'm pretty scared of the water. I got to be really? honest. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> once the water gets, like, about this high on me, I'm wait, like. Wait, wait, wait. So you, you can't swim or you, do, you just choose not to? I would say both. Okay. Uh, when, when I was about six years old, I was at a summer camp and I was running around the pool, which, right, don't run around the right. pool, right? Don't run with scissors and don't run around the pool. I ran around the pool. I slipped in. Um, and, you know, my, my memory is kind of being under there a long time and looking up and being really scared. And oh, so there's a little trauma out. in there. Yeah. Um, now, listen, should I get over it? Yes. But they really, I have this feeling like that I can't swim. Like I will sink. So you're telling me you're a black belt is, is in jiu-jitsu? Um, in Tiger Shulman's mixed martial arts. In Tiger mixed martial arts. Mar yeah. martial arts. Yeah. You're a black belt in, in mixed martial arts, but you're afraid of the water. Think about that. Yeah. Did that I, ever strike I, you? 
Yeah, all the time. I mean, my family and kids. You and can choke someone kids. out unconsciously right now. You could choke me and Josh out unconsciously. It is nothing to do with it's nothing this. to do it with is, it. I mean, yeah, I that's just, so interesting. I don't even really like putting my head under the water. Really, like people say, you know, take take baby steps. You know, you were taking a bath. And... You take. You're a shower guy. <laughs> <laughs> I am a shower guy. I'm not afraid of a bath. Uh, you know, okay, but, but um, yeah, I'm a shower guy, and uh, I just like to put my feet in the that's water. Interesting. And, yeah. You think there's ever? You think that you'll ever kind of want to cross that 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 fear? I want to, right? I mean, it it looks great. I see people in the water swimming, and my kids seem to have. So the ocean, never, not your thing. Oh well, gosh! Because especially when you look under, there's I'm crazy nervous shit. even when I'm in a boat. Like I might end up in the water somehow. Wow, that's fascinating. And my kids will learn how to swim, and I know it's important. I know the Earth is three fourths water, and you know. Wow. I don't know. I've, I'm really like deathly afraid. Do you have any other other ones other than the, the heights? Heights and water, right? Heights so like and power water. sailing is not for me. Okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll avoid that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so when do you start kind of getting into MMA like full time, and how how often are you doing it at that point? Once you you know gravitate towards that. Oh, I was I was like all in very early on. Yeah. You know, I was training like six days a week and if i could train seven days so a you're week. like 30 what at that point so 30 well, let's figure it out i started training in about may of 2004. Okay. so 33 33. Wow. so it's been 17 years yeah yeah wow um addicted yeah i mean at the beginning and i hate when people say they don't have time i feel like i do have less time to train though now than i than i did but um I mean, I was there all the time. I, I was fanatical. I would look at the schedules of other schools and see if I could travel there and take different classes. Wow. I mean, I, I really loved it and, and love it. Um, I was all in. I mean, that was definitely my life outside of, you know, my family and, and, and work. Um, yeah, it's it's just great. What was it about it? Because I know, you know, uh, for the people who have no idea what MMA is or combat sports in general they think of it as very like a, a brute oriented sport but the thing is that mma is so um complex and you know it's so i mean you probably know better than most the positive effects physically mentally emotionally um for you what were those uh kind of positive things that kept you you know on it all at all times well i, I mean the first thing I, I think is that for me at least and other people are gym rats and they love the process of just working out I find just lifting weights or running on a treadmill or a stairmaster boring. I just, you know, yeah. and so the idea of being able to get in shape and do something fun, you know, I before I did that, I used to love playing basketball, you know, just because I'm running all day right. and it was fun. It was a game. It was a competition. Right. Um, so to stay in shape um, and get literally an absolute full body workout, um, doing something fun and learning as you do it is great. Um, and you know, I have a, a fighting spirit in me. I, I mean, I have to acknowledge that. So the idea of competing against somebody in a, like a physical art is appealing to me. And the really cool thing about mixed martial arts is just what its name is that, you know, you're combining all of these different skills and, you know, um, there's a chess match rather than, you know, it's not rather than a brute force game, you know. I'm better in this area, he's better mm -hmm. in this area, or she's better in this area. How am I going to use my skills to maximize my strengths right. um, and minimize their strengths? 
Uh, and it's an ongoing, interesting growth uh, art, I guess. Now, how many, I mean, the other, you know, the big thing that stands out to me is, I don't imagine, I could be very wrong, there are not a lot of lawyers that are, you know, no. rolling or <laughs> on the mats, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, how did you kind of balance work and, uh, you know, getting into, I mean, because getting into a, the, the sport a little bit later than, than most, um, you know, what, what's that like? Well, I mean, I, I think I said this already twice that I, you know, I always hear people say, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. Y you make time for things that you want to do, right? There right. is a, actually a lot of time in the day. And if you utilize it well, you can get a lot of things done, things that you enjoy that. and all that. So, um, but I, I, I did have some things on my side, which were, I started my own practice right out of law school. So okay. I'm my own boss. Now, my boss really are my clients, you know, and the, my court schedule. But with that said, I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule, right? I could work in the middle of the night and then be free in the morning. I could work right. 10 hours here and not here. So I, as much as possible, try to work around my, my work schedule and my family's needs. And I was able to, to train um, at times when a lot of other people were training and a lot of other quality people were training. So th that definitely helped, yeah. So I listened to you on, uh, to you on another um, interview, and you talked about I think going to to law school uh, in the evening, um, and that's like for me, it's I mean it's not just a New York story, but that's very much someone you know hustling in New York trying to trying to make their way. Um, what was the decision? I mean, first of all, did you did you imagine when you were younger that law would be a a path? Um, and you know, once you made that commitment. Um, were there doubts or were you in it 100%? Oh, there are still doubts now. <laughs> um, I did not have a clear career path, uh, definitely through college. I, you know, you try to figure out areas that where you may succeed. I, I've been, I was told that I had decent communication skills, speaking, writing. Okay, lawyer is in that world. Um, so I, I sent some law school applications out, not even sure if I was going to go to law school. I actually had another job working in an assembly person's office. Um, and I started, cause I wanted to kind of be in the real world, like start working. Um, and it was great. I got a studio apartment in the city and I was working. I felt like an adult. It was fun being in the city, being 21 and in the oh, city. Um, and I decided to start going to uh, law school at night and I don't, listen, I wasn't a stellar student, but it actually wasn't as difficult as I thought the grind would be. Like I got up, I walked and, and then I, I ended up working at a law firm. I changed jobs where I was working in a law firm that was walking distance from my apartment. So I'd get up, I'd walk to the firm, I'd work there. It was a great place to work. They were incredibly supportive of me. Um, and then I'd jump on the four, five, six train down to New York Law School, right? I'd leave at five. I'd get there for my six o'clock class. I'd be there until past nine o'clock. Um, and then I'd usually stay out another <laughs> too many hours um, and and rinse and repeat. Yeah. And how long was the, so how long do you do that law school for? A couple years? Well, if you go regular full-time during the day, right. it's three years Evening programs typically four. I finished in three and a half because I I took classes during the summer, so I accelerated a okay. little bit. Um, and then 
again, I don't know why I decided to do this. That's the repeating theme. I like hung my own shingle, as they say. I started my own firm. Um, now, there would be no ballsy, chance. No. It was scary. Yeah. It was scary. I felt like it was the right path for me. I would not have been able to do it if the law firm that I worked for um, during law school did not support me. They gave me an office. They gave me support. Um, and, you know, I continue to do some work for them. And I kind of built my practice by learning how to try cases. Um, one of the ways I did was that there was a judge that got to know me um, in the Southern District of New York because I would come in on court cases with the attorneys and he kind of learned about what I was doing. And he would call me when there was a what's called a pro se plaintiff, someone who was unrepresented by counsel, it was coming to trial and sort of whether they wanted counsel or not at that point, the judge would be like, you need an attorney to try a federal court case. So I would try these cases um, and I would kind of learn on the go. And it was a great way to learn. Um, and uh, I, you know, I've, tr I've tried a lot of cases in my career and it's, it's something I really enjoy. So what are your, uh, what kind of law are you mostly focused in? I do a fair amount of things, which is a little unusual. Today, people are, tend to be very specialized mm -hmm. as opposed to like the general practitioners of, right. you know, the 17 and 1800s. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of employment law, um, commercial litigation. I do criminal defense. So I do both civil and criminal work, um, you know, and then I do a, a lot of contract negotiation, drafting, review in connection with the, my MMA, you know, work. Um, now, I had also heard that you... Uh... You became later on, I believe, uh, a certified NFL agent. Yes. Um, so I forget how many years into, into my practice, and this is sort of how I moved into MMA representation. Um, just because of my employment law work and, and work with contracts and just love of sports and, and the NFL, um, I applied to be a, a contract advisor, you know, an agent. A, a, they call it an NF. NFL Players Association contract yeah. advisor is the official term, but, you know, a sports agent. And um, so I went down to D.C. I took the course, took the exam, which was surprisingly pretty challenging, but passed that. And then it was like, okay, now how do you get clients? Um, who wants to sign up with a brand new <laughs> solo agent with no experience? Um, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, and, I, and it was difficult, one, because you know, a lot of the top athletes are attracted to the glitz and the glam mm -hmm. of the big fancy agencies that also can support a lot of these athletes financially through their camps. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I also played by the rules. Um, I, I hate to say that I'm in a minority in the sports agency business by playing by the rules, but I would do research. I would target an athlete that I thought was really interesting and had potential. And I would contact that school's compliance office and I would fill out really annoying forms. Right. And then I would register with the state and pay a fee. You know, I wouldn't hang out by the field or pay someone to hang out right. by the field and show them a Rolex that I'm wearing. Right. Um, so with that said, I still started to build a client base um, and it was really, really fun. I mean, I loved talking with these student athletes, learning about them, helping them achieve their goal of getting on a team, and was able to do that with some of them. Um, the, the one, probably the pivot when I realized this just wasn't going to work, because I'm not a quitter by nature, but 
I think sometimes you need to yeah. make smart decisions is I had a path to someone who was at the point, one point was even named as the number one pick in the draft. Okay. Wow. Person later was drafted number 15, but I had a connection. Can I ask who it is? I feel weird saying Okay. That. You can tell me maybe after. Yeah. Or not at all. Oh, I'll tell you. Okay. It was Star Lotelele. It was a defensive tackle for Carolina. When was this? I forget the year it was. It was. Uh, I remember that name. Late. Maybe 2008 to 2010. I'm, 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 it's a rough guess. Okay, right? interesting. I had a friend who was close friends with him that played on the team with him. I flew across the country for the meeting where we were going to get to know each other. And right. it was like obvious he was going to sign with me. Like right. That was the idea. Went out there, had a great time with this friend. We went to breakfast. Didn't show up. No call. Wow. Even to his friend, no call. Didn't hear from him for days. And then apparently he talked to him later on and said, listen, I feel terrible about this and, and I'm sure your guy is great, but I have a family and I, and I, and I need to train for the combine. I, I really have no issue when I, when, when I yeah, flip yeah. the side and I need to be taken care of and supported financially as I train for the combine and get ready for my career and my life. So wow. listen, it was a little hurtful the way yeah, it all went down but i also understand i couldn't do that for him right and right. he needed to do that and you know maybe in large part because of that he had a great nfl career um but i thought to myself listen if i can't get a client with such a connect like right. this maybe i'm just this isn't gonna work yeah. for me you know um is that crushing for you at the time yeah, because so you, you said you're not a quitter by nature. Yeah, I think it. I think it. It was upsetting. I was. I mean, I was really excited about this. I mean, I. Right. Th this was going to be really my chance to really get involved at a high level and 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 help someone at a high level and negotiate big deals and right. that was exciting. But during this time, this little NFL journey, um, the guys I was training with and the coaches started to look to me and say, "Hey, Dave, like." How come you're not representing us? We could use some help. And some of them were actually in some tricky contract situations at the time, too. And I said, I don't know why I'm not helping you. Know, sure. Right. And I started doing it. And when I say doing it, it was so early on, kind of like in the MMA representation mm -hmm. world, that I just kind of used the skills I used as an attorney to represent people in contract negotiations or in litigations or in disputes and just learn the field, made contacts with promoters and with the commissions, um, and just tried to support these athletes kind of in every aspect of their life so they could focus on sleep, training, nutrition, their family. Um, and I started having success, meaning helping them get out of bad contracts, get into good contracts, have success as athletes as they grew their career. And then I eventually kind of made it a formal part of my practice in representing combat sports athletes. And I would say that, I don't want to put down any of the work. I, I'm fortunate to do what I do. Um, but I would say that and teaching at New York Law School are two things that I love the most. And you've been teaching, I believe, what, like 17, 18 years? I started in August of 2003. Uh, so I, yeah, so, so I finished about years. 18 years maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you've done that and you'll always do that. At least. I hope so. I right. hope so. I mean, law, you know. And you teach, I, what do you teach, sports law? I teach, uh, I've taught a, a bunch of different classes in the writing department, but I, right now I've been teaching drafting contracts. 
okay. um, over the last several years, which I know sounds tremendously boring, but I try to keep it interesting. I feel like you keep fun. it. You'd keep it. I try. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I try to make it practical. I, I, the thing I think about is that, and while I, I, I really did love my classes at New York Law School, I it was great. Um, there were so many really practical things, particularly if you wanted to start your own firm, that you're just not taught. It's not part of the curriculum. Like so, what? What are some examples? How to get clients, how to start a law office. What are the things you need to do? The real like nuts and bolts things of, okay, I want to start a firm. What do I need? What are the things I need to file? Who? How should I grow my practice? How should I get involved in bar associations? How do I network? Um, how do I choose a practice area? Um, just things about being a professional and building your career. I just wasn't taught and I learned by making the mistakes. So I, I try to have my students make minimal mistakes, at least there. What's the what's the number one thing that you maybe wish you knew when you, uh, you know, were you a young lawyer at the time? I think spending time, which a lot of people think is wasted time or you're you're having fun so you shouldn't be doing it is going to social events and networking events mm -hmm. and not being afraid to talk about what you do. I've I've always felt sort of embarrassed or and I'm not a great salesperson. I'm learning to become mm -hmm. better. I, I never wanted to talk too much about myself or what I did. And I've learned that that's a mistake. I mean, it, you don't have to do it in a in a braggadocious way right. or an obnoxious way, but I think letting people know what you do and what mm -hmm. you're interested in and the skills that you have is important because I, I actually think of the times when people say, I wish I knew you did that. I right. would have come to you. Yeah. I would have referred you. Um, you know, build. I think building your your brand early on is important or trying to build your brand. Uh, and I emphasize to a lot of my students, you know, don't be shy about getting out there, going to events, talking about what you do, talking about what your passions are, uh, because you never know when that timing is going to be right. And they're going to say, I need someone like you, right. or I love your energy there. Come with me. I have a great plan for us, right. you know? And I think that's super, you know, that's honestly something that I feel like is super, is great for me to hear as well, being, uh, you know, a young person trying to to make a you know hopefully do do good things um but you know trying to find that that fine line of between being braggadocious as you say and, and humble while also just trying to you know let people know who you are in your eyes um what is perhaps the best way to go about that um to someone who it's unnatural to to talk about themselves and and what they do well Maybe this is a bad way to put it with my fear of swimming, but you, you, you do have to throw yourself in the deep end, right? I mean, you know, and, and again, I, I tell my students, like, if you're someone who's not good at making an introduction, if you're nervous at a party walking up to someone and introducing yourself, go to a bar association event, right? Because that's, for example, that's an event where people are there to meet other people, mm -hmm. right? And it's a safe environment to practice going up to someone and saying, hi, you know, my, my name's Dave. Uh, who, who are you? What, what, what's your practice? You know, right. what, what do you do? How long have you been involved in this bar association? And, and building rapport and building, you know, relationships and hopefully meaningful relationships, not, not handing out business cards. I don't even know if people do that yeah. anymore. I don't but, know, do they? Uh, <laughs> sinking your phone or whatever you do now. 
Um, I, I sound tremendously old <laughs> when I say stuff like that. Um, but uh, I think, you know, going to events, being present, showing up, mm -hmm. right? It, it's, I, I know those things sound cliche, but they are because they're real, like showing up, being present, being involved, showing your face. Um, I mean, even now, something that I, I think is really important is just showing up, you know, at my clients, um, not just their fights, but going to their gyms, working out with them, being there, being present, mm -hmm. seeing what they're going through, meeting their training partners. Um, you know, that's relationship building. And in doing that, you know, other people are going to see your commitment to your client and what you're about. And you, you grow your potential for more, you know, quality clients. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves and now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. Now, what percent of your time, because um, obviously you're with Paradigm, and you've been with Paradigm a couple years now? About a year and a half now, yeah. yeah. And what's it been like to, uh, you know, I guess be part of that uh, brand, because, you know, especially for a lot of MMA fans and, uh, you know, people following the UFC world and, you know, MMA in general, um, they know that Paradigm is, you know, one of the biggest agencies uh, in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. I... I, I it is such a great organization. And it, listen, I work there. Of course he's going to say that. But, I mean, I can tell you, you know, the people that are there are not only just really brilliant at what they do. Um, you know, Audi Attar, who's the founder, always says, you know, we have a team of black belts, right? We have a black belt in digital. We have a black belt in legal. We have a black belt all over the place. But they're really good people. I mean, we, we just had a sort of a virtual meeting yesterday um, that was just terrific. We were just, you know, talking about what we value, each of us, what we value and, and what we hope to bring to the organization. And it was just a great hour of just like building our relationships together. Um, and for someone that's really worked on his own, really his entire career, I didn't know how it would be to be as part of a team. You know, mm. I, I hear people complaining about their fellow employees and it's cutthroat and this and that. I mean, complete opposite. I mean, everyone's been supportive of each other. Um, and in doing that and having a team like that of experts that actually care about each other, we serve our clients so well. I mean, I, I think about like how much I did on my own and tried to do for my clients. And, and listen, I, I think I did a great job, but of course, as one person, I had limitations. But to have now this team and see what they can do on such a high, like, 
vast level is is impressive. I mean, and, you know, again, it comes from the top down, from Audi. Um, I mean, there's really nothing we can't do for our clients now. It's amazing the um, businesses we're building for them and, you know, the expertise that the team brings to every aspect of their life. It's really neat. Uh, it's great. I, I, I love, it. I love now, it. Now, what exactly, you know, for, for people out there, kind of more the casual person who doesn't understand what exactly a, a sports agency might do other than negotiate a contract, um, you know, what is it like the holistic view of if you're a fighter that just signed with Paradigm, uh, what does that look like for you in terms of your benefits of signing with Paradigm as opposed to another agency? Yeah, I mean, it definitely varies a little bit just being specific where someone is in their career as far as the approach we would take and, and the things we would do. But I sort of mentioned it before. What we do is we say, you take care of the things that you have to take care of, which is your training, your nutrition, your sleep. We even can help with those things too. We can help you with your nutrition. We can help you find a great place to train. We can work with your coaches, but we'll take care of everything else. Um, you're, the really mundane, boring stuff like medicals and licensing and all that, we take that off your plate. Uh, we help you with your social uh, media presence, which obviously now is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. We help you with your sponsorships, getting you, you know, outside income, passive income, um, really the whole gamut. And, and, and obviously it changes as, as athletes continue in their career and win and become more successful. There are larger platforms that are available, uh, but I would tell you, even our, our some of our newer athletes are gaining access to this incredible platform. And and th the way I always think about it is, and it's weird for me to say this, like because I, I love the sport and I and I love our athletes and I support them, but it's a really rough way to make a living, right? You're getting yeah. your joints twisted, you're getting punched in the face, kicked in the ribs. I my hope is that the athletes do this for a finite period of time, right? Mm -hmm. They do it while they enjoy it and while they're healthy and that they leave on their own terms and then they have tremendous options. Like I, the, the way I think about it is we're gonna use this vehicle of MMA so that you have so many options for really the vast percentage of your life, right? Fighting should be a small part of your life. You should retire from this career pretty young and right. healthy and then you've built your brand. Hopefully you made a good amount of money so that you could do whatever you want. If you want to remain involved in MMA, great. If you want to go to graduate school, great. If you want to open up a daycare center, great. If you want to learn how to paint, how to play the guitar, you can do that now because you're financially stable. Um, you've, you've built a name for yourself that people want to work with you. People want to teach you. People want to learn from you. Um, and, and I think we, we do that really well. Um, you know, I could, thinking about one of our athletes who's a, was a incredibly successful UFC fighter, uh, made a lot of money and he might make more money post career because wow. he, first of all, he's so with it. I think so, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. He's so smart. And he's then, got one and, eye now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he has such a character about him and he, and he, you know, he has such a determination and grit I mean, I I think he's going to make more money, yeah. um, and and that's great. I mean, I I I prefer to see our athletes being happy and successful, actually after right. they decide not to get punched in the face anymore. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, because, I mean, especially at Paradigm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, some of the big names. Is Connor technically under Paradigm? Yeah. It means under Audi. Um, what's it been like to, you know, I don't know if you have any personal interactions with him. You know, is he? Uh, but, you know, I, it feels like, at least on the outside looking in, that even those big stars are interacting with, you know, some of the up-and-comers and everyone of that Paradigm family. Is that fair to say? A absolutely fair to say. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And, and it's... Maybe it comes from Audi and it, and it comes for our team, but I feel like all of our athletes, whether they're the most famous athletes in the world, like Connor and, and Izzy is getting there and Chris Cyborg, yeah. um, they all support the entire team. Right. It's great. You know, when they see some of our other clients who, you know, you might call up and comers, you know, they take them under the wing and, and they're really supportive of the whole team. It's, and it's really nice to see. And it's, is it specifically by design or is it just by the nature of our team? But I happen to also really like our clients as people. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're, we're selective. We pick right. best of the best, right, right. In, in the cage. But they're also really good people. And, and we feel that spirit like coming from us to them and from them to us. And it, it makes you want to go to work every day. Right. Yeah. Are there particular, like how does it work in terms of, like are you responsible for a certain you know, crop of different clients or you guys all kind of work together? Yes and no, which I like. There's definitely a point person. You know, an athlete will have their go-to manager that is like their first line, right. you know. Uh, but the way we all see it is we, Paradigm represents these athletes. We right. all represent every single athlete on the roster. Um, and while the people that I have like first point of contact with may take up a little bit more of my mind space. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about our whole, whole roster. If I'm, you know, pitching to a, a potential sponsor, I'm thinking of our whole roster. If, if I know there's an opening or a potential fight opportunity, I'm thinking of our whole roster, you know? Um, and it's, it, it it's also nice that, you, you know, and, and uh, other agencies are, maybe do things differently is the nice thing about us having like a huge staff and not such a ridiculously large roster mm. is that we really can spend time thinking about each and every person on the roster and giving them a lot of time. Um, it's not like we have a roster of hundreds and right. I have to pick up a piece of paper to even remember who's on our team. I know everyone on our team right. and I'm, and I can always give them the right amount of attention. Uh, so it's, it's great. I, it's, I'm, I'm lucky to be there. Very now, you've also been, I mean, you've been really in the MMA space um, for a long time. Uh, what's it been like for you, you know, as one of the, uh, I don't want to say MMA OGs maybe, um, to, to see kind of the UFC, especially UFC, of MMA in general, um, you know, grow. And, and also for you probably, it's been pretty cool to, to be involved uh, because maybe you thought in the beginning it was the NFL was your future you transition a little bit more to MMA and then MMA is, you know, I'd argue the fastest growing sport in the world. Um, what's that been like for you kind of on the, on the inside looking, uh, on the inside, you know, being an inside member of that, that growth? It, it, I mean, it's exciting, you know, and at times it's unbelievable because yeah. when I was there at the very beginning, it was sort of like this niche sport, you know, and I didn't know if it was going to, you know, get really big, if it was going to be like, cornhole or curling or <laughs> um and to suddenly see you know 
it's being on a major network. It was on Fox and then it goes to ESPN. And the, the amount of people now that I run into that understand the sport and know the athletes. When I started, I would talk about the biggest names in the sport. And yeah. what? It was, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and it was, you know, it had the, the human cockfighting title, right. I, I guess. And it was banned. It was kind of frowned upon almost as a sport. And to see, you know, the respect that the athletes get, they're on the cover of ESPN magazine. Um, you know, Connor is number one on the Forbes That's athlete crazy. list. It's it's really great. And it, you know, it makes me feel like, all right, I, I you know, jumped into the right, I'll use that analogy again, pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jumped in the, I, you know, I, I was fortunate to pick a, an area that's growing and continuing to grow. Yeah. And for you, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, it's at the forefront of the discussion uh, in the MMA world with regards to, to fighter pay and how they're compensated. And you make, you know, a lot of great points with regards to, to health and, um, and you know, how in my, the way I see it, at least outside looking in, the 300th best NFL player is still making, you know, a thousand times more than the 300th best um, MMA or the, maybe the 30th best MMA fighter. Uh, for you as someone who's on the negotiating side of those uh, some of those contracts um are you optimistic that a it'll be improved in the future and b uh you know as much as you can or can't say uh what are those discussions like on the inside of the mma landscape on how to uh improve the quality of life because for me it's it always kind of breaks my heart you know if i have a fighter in here um that tells me you know i got to work my second job uh, when they're out here, you know, they're, they're a ranked fighter um, for the UFC. I do think it is going to improve. Um, I, I, I'm skeptical about the speed of it because there's so many challenges to it. it I mean, there's so many moving parts and challenges. Um, and, and, and the one thing I, I want to make clear is, yes, I, I'm an advocate for fighter pay and I want them to be paid more. Um, I, I don't say that disparaging the promotions because right. they're businesses, right? I, I think it's important in almost everything we do to try to put yourself on the other side. Right. They're a business that has to be loyal to its owners, its shareholders, its stockholders, yeah. um, and to run the business intelligently. And if they have people that are going to participate and are going to fight for a certain pay, that's what yeah. they're going to pay, right? I, I understand that. But that's not my job. My job is to advocate for the athlete. And I think they should be making – I'm not throwing this number out there to exaggerate or, or make up. I think most fighters should be making 10 times the yeah, amount they're making. And if, and if you look at other industries – put sports aside for a second. If you're the 10th best software developer in the world – you're making an absurd amount of money. Yeah. If you're the 10th best CEO, 10th best life coach, you're making a ridiculous amount yeah. of money. Why is the 10th best, you know, featherweight fighter not making that amount of money? And taking shots to the head. Yeah. yeah. Um, and working as hard as any other human being on earth. And there were... You know, there were biases against athletes and celebrities. You know, look, it's so much fun what they get to do. They get to play a game. They get to play a sport their whole life. There's not a lot of playing 
in their day. Yeah. There really isn't. Um, their day is waking up early, living a clean life. Their nutrition is on point. They're not enjoying fast food and ice cream and alcohol and any other vice that we might enjoy. And they're training hard, usually at least twice a day. And maybe they take a day off, right? I, I don't think Julio Arce takes yeah. a day off. But <laughs> he's a him, beast. Him aside, um, you know, it's a constant grind becoming one of the best in the world at what you yeah. do. And you know what some of these athletes are, are making. So, and the hardest part of the, the, an athlete's career, I think, is probably the most important part. It's talking about an MMA athlete in that once you become a pro, right? Now you're a pro. I'm going to, I'm a professional. I'm going to make money doing this now. Um, you have, and, and if your goal is to make it to a large organization where you're going to make a decent living, you basically have to work as hard as humanly right. possible for free because people think, oh, you're a pro now. You must be making a good living. Well, making $1,000 to fight, that's what they make, $1,000 to fight when you start to become a pro and have to train twice a day and pay for supplements and protein and drive to and from your training facility and make sure you have gloves and shin guards and headgear and you go through gloves quickly and clean clothing and do laundry three times a yeah. day. Um, you're paying to fight. And where is your money coming from? Well, you're working that second or third job that you're talking about. So you, you're working another maybe full-time job while you're training and you're making no money. Well, I think it's also counterintuitive because if they were paid uh, not even just a reasonable, but say a good amount of money, um, they could, and they weren't spending maybe half their time on trying to have a secondary income so they could just survive, the level would just be superior in my in my opinion. I mean, we're already talking about the highest performing mixed martial art artist in the world, you know, with the UFC, but just I, for me, it's like for some of those guys who are maybe top 25, top 30, uh, and some of the top 15 guys, unfortunately, it's like if they could, you know, instead of doing those two days plus their four hour of teaching at their gym, what if it was those two days plus, you know, two hours of recovery that they could get properly plus two hours of whatever else to improve their career? You would just see, I think, ultimately the level of everyone kind of rise. I don't know if you agree or disagree. I, I think that that's mostly true, and I, I think you also would definitely open up the 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 pool to more people, right. um, because there are people that just realize I can't do this. You know, I, I have to go another route. I'm, I'll become a a personal trainer, or I'll open yeah. a gym, or I'll, I'll go out of athletics completely because it's just not viable. Particularly if you have a family. I mean, the one the the sort of the flip side to it is. A lot of people believe, a lot of coaches, and I, and I give it some credit, that people that have it too good, I mean, maybe this is really the other side. Um, you know, you, you wake up in silk sheets, you're not going to go to the gym and really right. want to grind. Um, that sometimes that grind and that grittiness and that struggle creates these amazing fighters. Right. I think it's I'm a little bit of a sure. fine line. Yes, yes. I, I'm not sure... If it needs to be. I mean, it's, I mean, it's what you know, people say about Connor. It's like, well, does Connor need to fight? No, obviously he doesn't. Um, does Connor still want to fight? According to him, yes. Uh, does Connor still look good? In my opinion, yes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like you put maybe a Connor who's making 50 million 
and Dustin, who's well now Dustin's making probably a couple million. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe the. The, the desire, I mean, I'm sure the desire, it's kind of hard to say. But well, it's need versus desire, right? Right. Does he, does Connor and some of these other athletes doing real like need to fight? Of course the answer is no. He could survive not yeah. fighting, but he has a fighting spirit in yeah. him. I yeah. mean, and, it, and it's real. And when you get the combination uh, of that, then you have, you know, he, he's, the, I don't know what you'd call him, a blue unicorn, right? Yeah. He comes along very, very rarely, someone yeah. like that that has built such an incredible empire for themselves, but also has that fighting spirit, you know? Right. Uh, he wants to be in there. I'm curious in terms of, from the negotiation standpoint from, cause you, you were in the NFL and the UFC, um, what, how different is negotiating a, an NFL contract from a UFC contract? The similarities is that for the most part, the first contract is somewhat standard. Okay. There isn't that much deviation, um, you know, for a first contract. Um, now, you know, it's all it's all based on on leverage and desire. You know, if if you have a particularly special athlete who's a free agent um, come to the organizations, you know, you have some flexibility mm -hmm. with certain terms and 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 certain benefits. Um, but I think that the the creativity comes into play once that athlete has established themselves in the league or in um, in the MMA universe and has built a following and a popularity is when you could start playing a lot more with the numbers and the benefits and you know the tickets and the other fringe benefits they get. Um, and I mean, I think the way, obviously you need a quality athlete, but I think the way to do that is to be consistent and honest in your dealings with the organization. So. They know you. You say what you mean, and you mean what you say, and then you're going to follow through on on things you say you're going to do. Um, I think those skills are transferable to any kind of negotiation. Um, yeah. How have you improved as a negotiator over time? I mean, just listen. Just the reps get you better, right? In anything. So just just the reps get you better. Um, it's a, yeah, I, I, it's an interesting question because to some degree, I feel like I've, I've done it well for a while. Um, maybe the way that I've improved most is really being, I, I've always been honest with my clients, but being maybe more blunt and straight to the point and, and, and managing my clients' expectations properly. Um, I, I think we all... While we all have sort of self-doubt, we also tend to all think we're worth more than mm -hmm. we're worth. Not to say you're not worth the moon, right? You're not worth, worth it all, but what is the reality, right? What is the market going to bear? And I feel like educating the client more so that we're like on the same page and together about what I'm going to go forward and do makes me more effective. I have the full confidence and feel like I'm really a team with my client going forward um, rather than that feeling of trying to stretch uh, beyond a realistic negotiating universe mm. um, just because my client mistakenly thinks that's where I should be, but rather really educating them and saying, listen, I'm always going to try to do the best I can for you and everything. 
But this is realistically where we can, the universe of where we can be right now. Let's go and get that. And let's keep, you know, let's keep climbing and doing better um, rather than feeling like I got to stretch and disappoint and, 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 and also make demands with um, the other side maybe that aren't realistic, right? That's when you start to lose your credibility, Right. When, when I know, listen, the market bears this and this isn't anything. This doesn't have to be an MMA. I know the market reasonably bears this, but I come in pounding the table asking for three times that amount. Fish, what do you, where are you, where's this coming from? Yeah. Right. Are you, are you talking to your client? Are you, so I've, I've tried to really spend more time just educating my client on the business also so that we can really move forward together in a, in a smart and effective way. Do you, you know, when you're trying to you know, refine those tools, do you kind of take time to, to self-reflect on how you can be a, a better agent or a better, um, you know, a better professional in general? All the time, yeah. What's that look All like? The time. Um, it's reading, it's listening to podcasts, it's reflecting on my performance in the past, it's writing down short-term and long-term goals. How am I going to get there? Where am I weak? In, in you know, I, I want to get here. I know I have the skills, you know, to get there, but maybe I'm a little weak in this area. How can I improve that? I read, I, I, I listen to people that are smarter than me. Um, you know, uh, and, and I enjoy that. I love learning new practice areas. I love learning new skills. Um, I, I love reading about um, negotiation and uh, mediation and, and, you know, using skills to bring people together uh, to build better relationships. Uh, and that, I mean, that's a lifelong process. I mean, it, as good as I may believe I am at what I do, I get so far to go, you know, so, and, and, I, and I like that. I, I don't, I don't need to get to the finish line. I, I do like the process. I, and I think if you immerse yourself in the process, again, I know this is like a cliche thing, but it's so true. If you just enjoy the process and the journey, you're going to pass a lot of finish lines on the way. You just, you are, you know, because uh, there is no, there's no end zone. There's no end line. Right. I don't want to get there really. I want to keep going. You know? what, are, what are some of those short and long-term goals you have for yourself personally? Um, I mean, Long, I mean, short and long-term goals are to have the people around me um, feel safe and taken care of, family, friends, and clients. Um, I always want people that I interact with feel like I got their back, like Dave's here, things are going to be okay. So that's, that's always like the big goal. And in getting there, I mean, I want to learn more. I want to grow my body of knowledge and skills. Um, I mean, in the in the short term, right now, I'm trying to learn more about Bitcoin and NFTs <laughs> um, because that's an emerging area and an area, especially for athletes. Yeah, yeah an area where crazy. where revenue can be made. And and I know I don't have a lot of knowledge there, um, so I've been doing a lot of reading and and taking a little bit of like an online continuing legal wow. education course in that. Um, All your contracts are going to be in Bitcoin soon. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of don't even know what that means as you say it. <laughs> That's why I'm still, I'm, I'm still learning that area. Um, yeah. I mean, grow my short term to long term also is to grow my existing clients 
revenue, um, particularly passive non-fighting revenue, mm-hmm. trying to build uh, their their partnerships and sponsorship, you know, revenue, um, and and their ability to build like passive incomes is, is something that I'm I'm always thinking about and always working on, um, and 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 I mean it goes back to the first thing I said, building relationships with the rest of you know my paradigm team, teaching them things that that I know and can help them with, and learning from them, and I just think in doing that that process is going to serve our clients, you know? Um, so I don't know if that answered the question really. It's it answered it beautifully. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's uh, really been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I learned, I learned a lot from you. Um, you know, for me personally, I've always, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to be a, an agent or a general manager or something like that. And I'm still in the process of, of really finishing up school and figuring that out. But, um, you know, you've been uh, incredibly insightful. And I think that listening to, to your to your journey at least um is super interesting so thank you for for coming out today and uh coming I'm glad on my to show hear that. thank you thank you i appreciate that